Well, hello, obsessives, and welcome back to another episode of The Comic Obsessive. I'm Jason Dehart, and... I'm Adam Piles. This is a quarter of a century old at this point. No, that's that's not how that works. It's issue 25 of The Comic Obsessive, issue 25, special edition. Uh, and so we have done a quarter of a hundred of these things, if I'm doing my math correct. Is that right, Adam? Is that I believe so. Yes, I think so. I think so. Uh, And on this very special episode, because they are all special, we are talking about an Adam pick. And uh, both of us were really interested in this book as it came out and as it was shared with the wider universe. And so we are reading uh, an issue of Conan that just came out this past couple of months. So uh, I'm going to hand it over to you, Adam, to tell us what drew you to this book and uh why why conan what's the big deal with conan and we could talk about our history with the sumerian barbarian as we go through well i've been a huge fan of conan since i was uh a wee lad um i don't know what age i i started with it but i guess it really kind of started with he-man uh-huh yeah and so you know the scholastic book fair probably holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts and it does in mine because i remember being i think it was like seven or eight and i was probably already a a huge fan of he-man at the time um and i walked in and there was a cover uh painted by earl norham and it was he-man versus like he-man versus the rock man Men. I remember that cover. Uh huh. Yeah. That was a good cover. And it just instantly drew me in. And if anyone knows Earl Norm's art, it was uh is it was like oil painting and very realistic, but of course, you know, the figures were not realistic because they were larger than life type of figures. Like He Man always looked completely ripped and steroided out and you know an impossible body to achieve but it still had Mm -hmm. that kind of realistic look to it and so that art just really drew me in and then so i was a fan of he-man for a number of years and then my uncle um who lived on the hill above us he had boxes and boxes of sci-fi fantasy books and much to his credit, uh, he, he didn't mind if I came and, and rifled through them. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I'd like to give a shout out to my, my Uncle Mike here because uh, Mike Adams, he had these great Conan paperbacks and they kind of reminded me of the He-Man stuff because it was definitely Earl Norum kind of shaped his art, or at least it was reminiscent of the Frank Frazetta covers. Mm-hmm. That, that Conan had. And so it was like an instant connection right there. But of course, Conan was much more mature and, you know, bloody and and violent and all the things. Um, But I I still just kind of fell in love with the character. Um, There was just something so kind of primal about the character that I just gravitated towards. And uh, I read as many of those books as my uncle Mike had. And now I actually will go and like try to look for some at used bookstores and 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 buy them and, and kind of send them his way to see if he wants to read those and uh, 
got a pretty good little collection of those paperbacks, some of the original Howard stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then a lot of pastiches, apparently, they're called, uh, where they some other author writes in the style of of a particular author. So they're Robert E. Howard pastiches. They're not by him. They're in his style, or at least people are trying. Yeah, yeah. And um, so there's that history. And then I found the Marvel comic of Conan when I was a kid, uh, probably after I found the books. Yeah, that would make sense. I found the comics after the books and then just became a huge fan of that. Um, So there's more to say there about like those old Marvel comics compared to this, especially concerning the art. But what's your history with the character? Yeah, yeah. I was actually just sort of thumbing through the interwebs to find some of the the editions that I was introduced to with Conan because uh, I'm also going to add here, I appreciate the family history that you have with the character. That just makes such a big difference when you have somebody in your life that sort of shares these books. And I can remember my first comic that my parents got for me. And uh, those things are a big deal. But um, my history with Conan came a little bit through the movies. I I was too young for the movies when they came out. We'll see if we can't work in an Arnold impression contest or something by the end of this episode. Um, But I actually didn't discover the Roy Thomas uh, books until... A little bit later i i just didn't know about them they just weren't around but what i did find and what i knew about were these um they were released in i guess the mid to late 80s and they were these black and white tabloid sized conan magazines oh, they were yeah. they were comics but they were like magazine sized and they were definitely not for kids but I, I was a kid and I read them anyway at yeah. about the same time that I was watching RoboCop and you know, yeah. things like that and Predator. Um, and really, so I remember really. like Conan battling vampires and uh, all sorts of like large spider creatures. And I was just really taken with that that part of the character. I think there were parts of it that scared me too. But it was a different kind of comic book experience. The only thing that I really discovered that kind of was like that was a freddy krueger magazine at about <laughs> yeah. the same time yeah um and so they they were like comics but they were also different comics there was something that felt really different about them as far as not just the content but i mean they were like rolling stone sized books um and I, i'll have to do some digging to see if i can find some of those titles i think it was called like savage sword of yep. conan or something that, like that. that that is what it was called and this company is actually getting ready to release a savage sort of conan uh comic of their own and i think it's going nice. to be maybe more in that vein of uh, a little bit more graphic a little bit more yeah, yeah a little bit more mature and and uh, the issue of Conan, I guess we should also go ahead and say we're talking about um, the recent Conan book by Jim Zub is what we're exploring on this episode. You probably saw that, dear obsessives out there, um, from the title of the episode, but checking out the Jim Zub book. And, and there are some more mature elements in the book. It's kind of like the Roy Thomas book meets the Savage Sword of Conan books in a way. Is it, I mean, there's some bloodshed. There's some, oh, yeah. some you know, mature themes. There's some uh, women without shirts on, that sort of thing. True. Um, so uh, do do get your parent permission, kitties, <laughs> before you check out the book, because there are some mature elements. 
Yeah, and there's a, a pretty interesting history with um, Conan in Marvel Comics because apparently I've always heard that Star Wars actually kind of saved Marvel Comics from going bankrupt and going under uh, uh, like once they got that license. And Roy Thomas was responsible for getting that license. And apparently, um, from what I've heard, Stan Lee wasn't interested in it. But uh -huh. he kind of convinced him and Star Wars helped save it. And that's what I've always heard. But apparently there's also the idea that Conan helped save uh, Marvel 2, uh, getting the, the rights to make those comics because... You know that would that would have been the 70s early 70s when it started and then mm -hmm. which feeds right into the 80s which 70s and early 80s i think was kind of the heyday of the the sword and sorcery genre with movies and like you talked about the uh schwarzenegger movies and willow yeah. willow yeah. loved willow well beast master uh you know that i mean princess bride wasn't really like that but it still had that kind of you know sword play and yeah, uh, some fantastic creatures in it. So I think that was kind of the heyday of it. But apparently, I keep saying apparently a lot. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Roy Thomas wanted Conan, but he didn't think they could afford Conan because he stumbled across the the Lancer paperbacks because Conan was created in uh, the 30s. And actually, his first appearance, he looked... The, the illustrations because the the stories came out in a magazine mm -hmm. at the time and any illustration of him they kind of made him look like a roman gladiator but it wasn't until the 60s with the frank frazetta covers that we yeah yeah and if you don't know frank frazetta's art again get your parents permission mm -hmm. but uh check check out some frank frazetta art because his Conan covers were amazing. His other covers for like other sci-fi fantasy things. It's just fantastic art. And he was a he was a true artist. Um, apparently he would just start on his canvas and just draw and draw and draw and then just start with the painting. And apparently he would just work himself to the point of exhaustion for like a day or two. And then it would be done but he would be wiped out and have to sleep because yeah. he had just kind of poured everything into it. But Roy Thomas had read those Lancer paperbacks and he was interested in a fantasy character. And I think he tried for someone else first. I think maybe it was Thongor, uh, mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. I think is by, I think DeCamp or Sprague, who also had a hand in bringing Conan into a more modern era. But, they wanted too much for that character. So Roy Thomas just sent a letter and uh, made the arrangements. And sure enough, they got the rights to Conan. And that's where the Marvel comics came from. And that series lasted for, I think, about 250 issues. So yeah. it had a, had a huge run. But um, one of the ways that this comic kind of ties back to it is that that comic started with um, Barry Windsor Smith as an artist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then um, John Buscema took over. And John Buscema apparently loved fantasy. Like that is what he wanted to do. And he stayed on the book forever. But this modern take, which is not Marvel, it's by Heroic Signatures Titan Comics. Mm 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They have an artist uh, doing this book, these first four issues, uh, named, let's see, Rob De La Torre. I mm-hmm. might, might be butchering that name. I, I think that's right. I think it's Rob De La Torre. <laughs> but this artist is very reminiscent of uh, John Buscema. Yeah. Very, very reminiscent. And not in a, like, I don't know, you know, that could venture in the direction of cheapness, you know what I mean? Like, uh, unoriginality. But mm-hmm. uh, the way this guy pulls it off, it's just excellent, excellent art. It's very influenced by Buscema, but um, also has his own, like, flares to it and his own you know, staging of the panels, which I'll talk more about later, but um, I told you, you're going to have to rein me in here talking about Conan so much. It is good. It is all good. And I'll also mention uh, Rob De La Torre is one of the recent artists on the Suicide Squad. He's done okay. some Suicide Squad and really liked what he brought to this book. Um, we were talking before we hit record and Jim Zub is, is sort of masterminding all of this but he's working with different artists as he goes through these runs so i think doug braithwaite i was just looking that up yeah yes um he's going to be taking over for a new series of these um so kind of cool that they're bringing in you know different artists along with jim's up to explore this character and then uh, i don't always shout out the letterer but my goodness i'm going to shout out the letterer on this one because it is riotous Richard Starking, Starking <laughs> Comicraft. And uh, I guess the thing that people say about comics lettering is that if the letterer is doing their job, you're you're not supposed to notice the lettering. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I really appreciate what Richard Starkings does. Uh, we, we all know that I'm a big Batman Adventures fan, and that was the first time that I noticed, oh, there's this guy that does this lettering. It's Richard Starkings and Comic Craft, and I wonder what that means. Um, so, powerhouse creative team there, and then uh, Jose Villarubia is the color artist, and I think he did. I think he's working with Kelly Jones and Matt Wagner on that brand new Dracula book that they're doing, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Okay. Yeah. Great. So, the, so this is a like all-star lineup of modern talent here working through this book. It is, and they, they've come together to create something that I think is both, how do, how do I say, it's reminiscent of the old mm-hmm, stuff, mm-hmm. but it definitely has a modern flair. Like when you open up to the, um, let's see, I guess it would be not the map, not the first page, but the, the big splash page here to start us off where it says Conan the Barbarian, and then it says Bound in Black Stone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That stuff is just beautifully laid out you know yeah. what i mean like on the page like it looks classic yeah but it, yeah but it also has a modern feel to it and to me i don't know i kind of feel like this is what some of modern comics are missing sometimes i feel like they're too slick mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and too uh computer created um yeah digitally created and i'm sure this stuff was too but just the way they've way they've done it has really captured the essence of those old comics. And I really appreciate that. And a lot of the, um, the things that I notice about a lot of modern comics too, is that, 
you can't really distinguish one from the other. You know, you kind of yeah. pick it up and the next one's doing the same thing. And, yeah. Uh, you get, you were talking about those panels, you get a really creative layout with this page that you don't necessarily see in every book anymore. Like, and I appreciate that creativity. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like so much more of this is done traditionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I've already said this, but to kind of repeat myself here, that some comics just seem too slick and it looks like the background has just been kind of swiped in with digital background or digital edit, not editing, but you know, just digital art. Yeah. I, I feel like more of this has just uh, been the work of the, the artist, which I don't know, just really appreciate, really appreciate the look of it. Yeah. And I also, I appreciate the story. Um, this first issue kind of sets up some nice mystery. You know, we have like a alternative character that's leading the charge and is with Conan fighting a threat that feels very like dark and sinister. Too. It does. I was a little surprised that the first enemy was essentially you know, zombies. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And I'm not really a zombie fan to tell you the truth i mean i'm not like against them or anything like that yeah yeah but, i mean we have nothing against zombies here but right <laughs> but it is quite horrifying when you get to that two-page spread of uh the zombies kind of rushing into to camp mm-hmm. and uh, you know conan's standing standing in front uh ready to defend and quite horrifying you got the boils on their skin you got the the guy here in the in the foreground with his jaw wide open, but it looks like he's missing half of the skin on his face. It's yeah. grotesque, but it sounds weird. It's grotesque, but it's also kind of beautiful in its own way. Like, right, I, know, right. I, I don't know if that sounds strange, but like sometimes grotesque is just gross. But sometimes just the way it's done on the page, it's just so appealing. Mm-hmm. And that's, it gets across the, the monstrous nature of them, but it's not yeah. just gross to look at, you know? Yeah. And that's that like Frazetta tradition that you were talking about, which in my brain, I kind of have him in the same category uh, related to, but not exactly the same as like a Simon Bisley kind of artist. Oh yeah. Yeah. that um, kind of. I definitely get that kind of comparison. And there's like a real, you see the talent to it. You see like the, the use of shadow, the use of light, um, the use of color and form. And, and those are the things, even if it's like a ghastly character like that, you're like, oh, it's really nicely done grotesquery. You know, yeah. it's, it's yeah. got that. And I also, I mean, not to sound uh, too overly into the violence, but uh, on page 18, that battle scene between Conan and the one zombie, like, where he's throwing him over his shoulder and then there's a sort of like a swiping beheading kind of thing happening there. Like, yeah, this, this is definitely your, you know, savage kind of Conan kind of book, which is uh, part of that tradition and part of that character. Yeah. And I would have thought because once um, Marvel stopped producing uh, Conan comic books, I guess that would have been the nineties because original series wrapped up and then they kept doing like little mini series mm-hmm. and then it bounced around from publisher to publisher i know dark horse had it at one point um 
who else had it? Uh, Dark Horse, I think, did a big run with it. But it came back to Marvel. It came back to Marvel in like 2018, I think. Mm-hmm. And I thought I thought that was going to be, you know, the big surge in Conan popularity again. And, it, you know, it definitely had its had its moment. And I liked those books. And he was even, even in the Savage Avengers, which I thought was mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. Big fan of the Savage Avengers. Yeah, yeah. Was, that was big fun. But this, when I heard that Marvel lost the rights, I was pretty disappointed. Yeah. Um, because for one thing, Marvel was really cranking out the epic collections of the that original run of Conan comics. And mm-hmm. so I, w- I was getting every single one of those because I was trying to get as many as I could before, you know, they ended. And I think they produced six of those. So I think it takes you through like 80 some issues. Um, but I was kind of disappointed that Marvel lost the rights. I was like, ah. Now who's going to get it now? Like what, you know, yeah. Uh, why, why would they give up the rights? And, um, and then I heard that Titan comics had it and I didn't really know Titan comics, but I didn't expect, uh, very much from it. But then the artwork, uh, the preview images started coming out mm-hmm. and the free comic book day mm-hmm. issue mm-hmm. landed and I was blown away. I was definitely sucked in by the art but then the storytelling that that sealed the deal this this felt like great original conan run top stories that were getting ready to be told again yeah yeah i think the only thing i knew titan for might have been godzilla i want to i want to say they did godzilla for okay. a while but i'd never heard of heroic signatures i didn't know what that was i guess that's kind of maybe a newer thing that they've uh, launched or something like that. But uh, yeah, there was something about that first issue when it came out that uh, stood out to me and I thought, I need to check this out. And I don't know if that was subliminal messaging on the cover um, (laughs) or however that works. But uh, I mean, even before you and I talked about it, I was like, I want to check this book out and see what they're doing with Conan here because it sounds really interesting. And of course I'd heard of, Jim Zub and checked out some of his work before too. So I was curious to see what he would do with it. Hey, you know, what's interesting about the art is that like, you know, there's a lot of times that like the big panels or the big splash pages, right? The artist kind of pours everything into that and you can see all their talent and you can see the, the skill and everything. Mm. Um, but what I find interesting is that in this book, those huge panels and, and splash pages are fantastic mm-hmm. but even the little ones mm-hmm. the little panels some of these panels i would just love to have like as a t-shirt like there's one where um after conan uh kind of basically throws like kind of like a molotov cocktail at the all the zombies attacking the the troops and then they're walking away and the uh tents are in are on fire and the smoke is boiling up and all that. And just the way that's framed and colored, uh, it's just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely tell the digital, the coloring is, is digital and not, you know, old school coloring, but it's just, it's just really, really well balanced. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that Brissa's 
blue. It's not a mask. It's like kind of war paint across her eyes. That's always so striking every time I see it. And I guess it's that digital coloring making it pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Brissa is that that character that comes in as a really interesting, I don't want to say sidekick, but um, sort of a vehicle for leading into the story too. the really interesting supporting character, co-lead um, sort of thing. And it's always interesting when writers pair up Conan with a female character too, um, just to show that he's not like yeah, you know, he's a barbarian, but he's not that kind of barbarian. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I do know what you mean, and that's what that's what um, that's what I love about the character is, you know, a lot of those original Howard stories, and then the Roy Thomas comics. A lot of those were about how Conan was the barbarian, mm-hmm. but anytime he would go into the civilized city, he would have more honor and respect and just decency than all the other supposed civilized people around him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I always love that aspect to the character. Um, yeah. What, what drives you to the character? I mean, I think that uh, there's definitely that comic book feel, but it's kind of, as I was saying earlier about those 80s books that I picked up, and I mean, I, I was looking up, like, Tom DeFalco was working on them. Chuck Dixon was working on them. Like, these were, you know, from really talented, creative minds. It's kind of a a comic book that's a little superhero, but it's not at the same time, which I think is why I liked Savage Avengers, too, because you've got a character like Conan who's not your traditional superheroic character, but still like, you know, kind of a forceful lead, uh, strong character, strong central character, and then interacting with all of the other more heroic traditional kind of characters is kind of an interesting thing. And so I definitely think there's that cool aspect to it. Kind of like it lives in my mind in the same place as like Edgar Rice Burroughs, like Tarzan comics. Um, There's something like mythic, heroic but it's not your traditional you know batman superman kind of book and i think part of that too is like conan's a a human being a you know regular character kind of person that can be hurt by things and so uh what's really mystical about conan and what's elevated is like the the world that he lives in where there's this dark magic and uh, all of these elements that can come against him, but he's still a person. He's a human being. Yeah. And I love that. And I love that. Well, I was listening to this other podcast recently and they were kind of distinguishing between the different types of fantasy. And I knew that there was like high fantasy and, and grim dark and, and stuff <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. But then they drew a distinction between sword and sorcery versus um, just like you're basically all the rest of the tops of fantasy. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and they said that, you know, one of the big ideas behind the sword and sorcery fantasy is for one, the setting, like um, when you read high fantasy, most of them just seem to be inspired by like the middle ages of, of Europe and, or the middle age of Europe and, and medieval knights and castles and, and things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But a lot of sword and sorcery seems to be almost middle Eastern established or, you know, set. 
and there is that definite aspect of horror to them like the, yeah. the the creatures that conan encountered were always horrific you know mm-hmm. and like not just magical but horrific you know and i think in a lot of other maybe medi- medieval europe inspired uh fantasies things might be you know scary and and intimidating but maybe not as monstrous as the things that like Conan fought in the jungles of wherever he was, he was fighting. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to give a shout out to a couple of podcasts that I am in no way affiliated with, uh, but they just have some really good discussion about this. One is called rogues in the house. And that's got several different um, hosts kind of discussing the things that we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and then one is, uh, let's see, Hither Came Conan. And that one, um, the guy, Stephen Orels, I think, is taking you through the Marvel run. And then he kind of dove into the, the most recent Titan Comics series as well. Um, and those are two of the best kind of Conan centered podcasts I have stumbled across. I was actually a little surprised there, there were not more. Um, yeah, yeah, but those are definitely two of the best. There's another one. Um, I think it's just called, let me look, see if I can see this, uh, Conan and friends. And that's really just sounds like Garfield and friends, the old <laughs> cartoon. Um, <clears throat> but I think that just kind of, that's like the audio books of the old Howard stuff. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's on the podcast sites as well. But Hither Came Conan is really fun and Rogues in the House. That's, those are two really great podcasts about this world and these characters and, Rogues in the House, I think, are exploring other things besides Conan, like uh, <clears throat> Solomon Kane and mm-hmm. um, just more Robert E. Howard creations. And um, apparently, the Heroic Signatures, they are publishing some Conan pastiches, so like short stories. Nice, nice. And I've read a, two of them. I read the first two, I think. Um, they're really good. Um, one of them came out, I think in the original, not the original, but like the recent Marvel Conan series, like bit by bit, you know, Mm -hmm. like as the series was going on, it came out in segments in the back. And so I think they put all that together for the first one, but, um, they're really good too. So if anybody is a huge fan of Conan, I think it's a, a good time to be a fan because of the, this series and the heroic signatures, uh, short stories. I don't think they're physical copies yet. I think it's just, you know, from Amazon, like Kindle type stuff. But yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good time to be a a Conan fan. I would say so. I would definitely say so. And it's funny how the character comes back. Um, did you ever see the animated series in the, mid, the late nineties? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see it when it was coming out. I didn't know it existed. I think maybe. It was, it was either on a channel I couldn't get because this was the 90s and we just didn't have cable. Um, uh-huh. Either it was on a channel I didn't get or I was working. Like yeah. I had started like my 16-year-old job, you know, and um, so I, I just wasn't around for it. But I saw it 
way after the fact, and it was interesting. It was entertaining. It was yeah. it def- definitely not your mature um, focused book. It was uh, there was a line of toys that went with it. I remember there was like a giant Conan figure. I remember seeing that around, and I mean, you know, it, it's just a testament to the to the character um, because he keeps coming back. They they brought him back in 2011. The yeah. Conan film, that, Jason that Momoa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, little Aquaman Conan connection there, and so it's it's kind of interesting in the that mythology, the Hyborian Age, and just all of the sort of fun things that authors do with that. It's a really entertaining series, regardless of where you kind of pick it up. I think you know it's kind of funny that they came out with a con- uh, a cartoon in the nineties because. I think that's what they were wanting to do in the eighties um, with He-Man. But mm-hmm. once, once they started kind of diving into the Conan character, they were like, Oh no, we can't do this. We can't bring this into a Saturday morning cartoon. It's way too mature and graphic and bloody and all the things. Um, and so that's when that company kind of sh- reshaped it into the, the He-Man stuff that we, we came to love. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely cool things. And uh, just thinking about, and I think I've mentioned the Box Brown book before on here, the the one that he just came out with in the spring that looks at sort of the 80s culture and how so many, um, so many animated series were coming out. And of course, a lot of them were about selling the toys. So uh, I learned through that book, it's called The He-Man Effect. It's a graphic novel about, um, toy makers and so i learned that the reason that adam looks exactly like he man like same <laughs> physique and everything mm-hmm. yeah uh-huh it's yeah. that mold that they, they didn't want to create a new mold you know right. so they just used the same one so right. uh, <laughs> there's some economy to some of that too for sure absolutely um but you know one of the one of the huge missed opportunities I have in this kind of realm <clears throat> of, you know, meeting creators and everything is at my very first Heroes Con in Charlotte that we've talked about on this uh, podcast before. The very first one I went to, it had Earl Norum there as a, you know, as a guest. And I could have gone by and, and met him and gotten his signature. And he was the one who painted that first you know, He-Man cover that I saw and did a lot of He-Man stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I didn't know it. Stan Lee was there and I guess that kind of uh, eclipsed everything else. But once I've discovered that, I really kicked myself. And then I was like, well, maybe he'll come back. But sadly he had, he had passed away. Um, uh-huh. So I never got a chance to meet him, but he was, I think he was a pretty legendary artist. There's a clip of Stanley meeting him at the Heroes store. And I think Stanley was really pouring on the uh the praise and the accolades for him. Yeah. 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 But uh yeah, I really hate that I missed him, but you know, you, you can't see everybody. That's true. That is true. Yeah. And the, you know, the impression lives on. The the art and the voice lives on and here we are talking about him and talking about that book all these years later. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> we didn't really talk too much about the story of uh, that, that number one Conan, but 
I thought the story was very engaging as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, the use of the picked there, the use of those zombie characters, really interesting. And I was also looking at that art on on the last page, um, that big splash page that sort of leads you into the next part of the arc. Um, so really well done in that regard too. It sets yep. up a, a nice mystery. Yeah, yeah. So the the basic gist of the story is that at the beginning of the story, Conan is <clears throat> laying waste to his former captain uh, of his like little troop that he's in. And Conan quits because apparently that guy was not a very good commander and his cowardice led to uh, some deaths of some soldiers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Conan's getting ready to, you know, he has quit. He's walking out. Uh, but that's when Brissa comes up and says, you know, trouble's coming. And they don't believe her until it's too late. And then that zombie and uh, zombie horde invades. And um, it does have a gripping ending with Conan saying, why don't you come with me? Come home to my home to Samaria. And she drops the news that they're already there. Like the yeah. zombie zombie horde has already made their way there. And um, the last panel is uh, the zombie horde taking out a lot of Sumerians. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the story is really good. Um, yeah. And it has a really good little four-issue arc, which I found kind of refreshing. Everything seems to be driven towards the six-issue arcs now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. True enough. I guess because they fit well into the trade paperbacks, but this this felt good. This felt like it was paced very well and had a nice rewarding payoff with a, also a little bit of a cliffhanger on it as well. Yeah, so definitely uh, worth the read for sure. And uh, it's hard not to read the first one and then want to read more out of this series. Do you have any of those like two, three, four? I have them on uh, digital. I don't have the physical copies. Okay. Yep. I can probably send some physical copies your way because they keep putting out really fantastic variant covers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That I, I find it very difficult to turn down, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I have a couple of issues, I think, of uh, some of the other ones as well, like, you know, extra issues that I could probably send your way. Nice. Very kind of you. Very kind of you. Yeah, I'm I'm a digital reader uh, a lot, although with the um, recent passing of Comixology, rest in peace, Comixology, yeah. um, we'll kind of see where I head next in digital digital directions. There we go. That's hard to say. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's always, always a fan of the print copies as well. And they're, they're putting out foil covers. There's been a really recent sir like resurgence in popularity of the the foil gimmick covers Mm -hmm. and as a you know former i don't guess i was really a child in the 90s but um you know in my formative uh years that's when the gimmick cover really kicked in and i gotta admit i'm a sucker for them every time Yeah. Uh, yeah and so to me like a conan foil cover that's too good to pass up I, I oh can't. yeah, especially with Rob De La Torre art and mm-hmm. in foil version, those are 
Those are beautiful covers. A little foil in the right place, like the eyes of Shadowhawk, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Not a bad thing at all. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I could go on and on about Conan, so I probably shouldn't. I should probably try to wrap it up while I'm haven't, you know, bored everybody to tears yet. So do you have an Arnold impression? No, I do not. I am not I've never been good at an Arnold impression. My friend was pretty good. Yeah. He, yeah, he could nail it down the 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 get to the chopper, you know. Get to the chopper. There yes, it is. There it is. Yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. That's the summary of every uh Arnold movie from what I'm told. Although it doesn't work in Conan because there is no chopper. That's but. true. That's true. But you know, um some you look at these <clears throat> recent Marvel actors like Chris Hemsworth and everything and you're like Man, I bet, you know, I bet he's as big as Schwarzenegger was back in his day. Mm-hmm. But then when you look back at Schwarzenegger, maybe even pre-Conan days, like when he was a bodybuilder. Yeah. He was a different beast. Yeah. Was, I don't know. He's, he was just incredible. Apparently, he had to lose. I don't know why I'm hitting the word apparently so much. Uh, all right. It works. It works. Uh, he had to lose weight to be able to swing the sword like he couldn't even swing the (laughs) sword over his head because his chest was too big to swing swing the sword which that's just incredible yeah i have that problem sometimes too right uh you know you know i heard that and i was like i wonder if jason has that problem i'm I'm glad you answered that that's right yeah just save someone a fan letter yeah yeah absolutely well it's good stuff i highly recommend anybody uh, well, anybody who doesn't mind a little, <clears throat> maybe more approach, uh, mature approach to storytelling to, to pick up this series, because even without the Rob De La Torre doing the art for the next arc, Jim Zub is still writing it and mm-hmm. the writing is fantastic as well. So it should, I think it would entertain anybody. Agreed. Agreed. Highly recommended. Uh, great series, great arc, and curious to see about where they take it next. Really yep. curious about that. Yep. Absolutely. So what's next on the on the docket for the comic obsessive? Well, by Crom, I'm glad you asked. Do you see how, how I said yeah. that for the end? Yeah. I liked it. Thanks, thanks. Uh, I was thinking we would jump back to some Suicide Squad, little Suicide Squad, um, the John Ostrander days of Suicide Squad. And I'll talk a little bit about the first annual of Suicide Squad that I discovered, which I think was 88 or 89, uh, currently looking at a, a print edition, collected edition of that. So I thought we would talk a little bit about Suicide Squad annual number one from December 1988. But the major focus of the episode will be actually the first issue of that series that launched. Were you a fan of it back in the day? Uh, When I could find it, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was not a a frequent book on my shelf, but I did enjoy that annual. I did enjoy the the issues that I could find. There was something about uh, the Bronze Tiger that was really interesting to me. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that when we explore the issue so very cool yeah yeah all right well um if you're out there and you're listening we would love to hear from you so please email us at the comic obsessive at gmail.com we'd love to hear you and 
and read your email <clears throat> on the podcast telling us what we're doing wrong and right. And we, we just we just love to we, we would love to hear from some fans. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, we were talking about action figures. I think we need to develop some Jason and Adam action figures. I'm thinking that this is something we should definitely look into. That would be awesome. Like a Kickstarter level of the podcast, except we're not really kickstarting anything. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, because those that's out there now, and I think that's crazy. That like I, you know, I, I understand people writing stories and, and comics and things like that as Kickstarters and games, of course. Games are big on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. But it kind of blew me away that companies were starting to do figures as Kickstarters too. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think that's that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think it needs to happen. Yeah, let's do that. Yep. All right. Well, I guess we should tell our audience to stay obsessive and keep reading comics. That's right. Stay obsessive, everybody. <laughs>